This is David Wilson and welcome to episode 45 of On Another Track. Welcome to On Another Track with me, David Wilson, exploring people and places from around the world. A podcast series that takes you where you've never been and probably where you never want to go. On the track is talking to people we can't meet with face to face. We use remote video technology and software to see what they have to say. Oh, that's okay. Because I get, you know, like I say, I don't know how you ever get time for yourself looking at what you do in uh, LinkedIn and all the other platforms. Yeah. So, how do you find Riverside? Is that any good? It is. It's just like a little bit more technical. So, like your guests can get a little thrown off. So, you have to be kind of be prepared for that. Hey, that, that was honestly a good, I love that. It was a good interview. Thanks. That's the voice of my guest this week, Stephen G. Pope. He's the founder and CEO of SGP Labs. Stephen wants you to use your industry expertise to create a decisive advantage to your company. He helps you use a unique blend of content strategy, video, community building and technology to increase your online reach and get people talking about you. He keeps things simple. His belief has always been to break the cycle of fear, you must act. However, don't spread yourself too thin, establish your routine and keep it simple. Oh, and leave some time to achieve 50,000 views on TikTok. What could be simpler? My first question for Stephen was, how would you describe yourself? Yeah, I mean... I mean, I am, I'm a family man. I have a wife and two kids. Um, uh, but, you know, as an individual, you know, I just, I think entrepreneur, inventor, builder, problem solver is like the, is probably the way I would sum it up. That's fair enough. And, and you recently, and I assume it's recently because I really don't know how long you've been doing it. You've been very prevalent on LinkedIn and you are with a number of uh, groups and helping out a lot of people with their business. So how do you go about that? What's the background to your business? And I think it's called SGP Labs. Is that correct? Yeah, you got it. Perfect. Yeah. So essentially, I'm, I'm really just helping people become the go-to expert in their space. And so how can they leverage online marketing and uh, video content to generate revenue, you know, help more people, um, make more money. And, you know, a lot of, a lot of the clients are moving online. They haven't really been online. Um, some are online. It's just not working. So it's really just helping them, you know, establish themselves in their industry as the expert. And that's a really great thing because so many people need that lifeline at the moment because I imagine in the last two years, obviously with the COVID and what have you, the, the complete boundaries of what we do in marketing and how we did it before just isn't working anymore, is it? Yeah, you, and you could argue it was happening well before that. Like a lot of the people that I study from, a lot of the people, like even my own coaches, they've been literally doing this from like 2007, you know, like leveraging Facebook and social media and groups and and just making tons of money at it while a lot of people were just doing things kind of like, and I, I don't want to say this with like judgment, but just doing things the old way um, in networking groups. Um, and w- I mean, when you think about social media, all it really is is a way to do networking at scale. Oh, totally. Uh, yeah. You, you have organic reach. You can make a post that could reach hundreds of thousands of people. Literally I do TikToks that reach hundreds of thousands of people. Um, and that's just a, an insane amount of, opportunity for people to take advantage of it. It's the same on LinkedIn. I get a lot of reach there, but uh, it's not, it's not as much as on TikTok because it's an early platform, but yeah, it's just like, there's so much opportunity there. And I, I just think, 
it's literally this if 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 you just allowed yourself to um just to break free of of the the limiting beliefs it's literally the same thing that you do in a networking group it's just applied online but people have a lot of a lot of hang-ups when they start to do that and and plus there's just a ton of information you know it's like websites funnels and uh you know you have blockers and just getting on video and so there's just a lot of things that people run up against and sometimes they're just doing too much or they're just stuck and they're overwhelmed and frustrated or they've tried a bunch of things and it just didn't work you know that's a really good point you make is that that stuck part and the overwhelmed bit is a, a normal human condition isn't it you know when we are unsure about something we don't want to put that foot forward just in case we make a mistake but um what do you see as the biggest issue how do you help people overcome it for the most part it's like number one giving them uh just like simplifying what they're going to do because like it it is actually pretty simple like people think they need all these different things. And so then when they start to put them together, it's like, it's just too overwhelming. I do the same thing to myself sometimes. Like I have big plans. I want to, I've seen people that are further along than I am. And so I want to implement all these different things. But for the most part, it's really like clarity, focus, simplicity, and routine. Because the way I look at marketing, and, and I think this helps people uh, digest it quite a bit, is like, there's, a, there's an element of setup where you set something up, a simple website, uh, your social media profile, um, your, your studio, so you can record a video. But after that, it's, it's like, there's no more setup that needs to be done. Now, the only thing left is like that patient execution. Okay, now you're recording videos. Now you're actually going out there and, and uh, advertising that you're gonna do a live show or that you're gonna do a, a webinar or whatever. And you're going to start doing that. And then when it doesn't work or it doesn't do what you want or nobody shows up, instead of going back to the drawing board and changing a bunch of stuff or doing more things, you're just going to ask yourself, okay, why, why did nobody show up for that webinar? And you're going to say, oh, it's because I didn't invite these people. I didn't reach out to enough people. I didn't, I didn't communicate the value of it. Or nobody's interested in that. Really interesting. Really clear. So if somebody was in that situation, say they're very traditional in the way they've done marketing before. Maybe they've done emails, they've done the kind of MailChimps of this world, and maybe they've dabbled a little bit with Facebook and LinkedIn, but really hadn't done great guns on it. What would be your kind of three-point step to sort of really get them underway in, in a confident manner, one that we've got some sort of clarity, but also we've got some cadence as well. How would you sort of, you know, say I was one of your clients, how would you set me up to start with? What would be the procedure? Like in terms of just like literally just getting online? Yeah, I think so. Because some people are just very, you know, they're yeah. used to email. They're used to kind of the talking over the phone or even maybe yeah. doing a Zoom. But the kind of the the kind of the mysterious thing about online marketing and all the different social media platforms. And they might suddenly go for something like Facebook and think, oh, that'd be great. I'll get me started. And I'll do a Facebook ad. I'm getting to thousands of people. And they think they're doing okay. But the reality is probably different, isn't it? Yeah. So, I mean, in reality, you have to have like a strategy. So like, you know, this, this is not something that I invented, but like a go-to market strategy is just like, who's your market? Like, what are you offering them? What's the transformation that you offer? Thinking that through, what's your pricing? Um, and then why are you different? Like setting yourself up the positioning, um, thinking, thinking through like, kind of like what your brand is all about, like your values and like, what do you stand against? Because one of the best ways to stand out is not, 
not to literally try to stand out, but just to like identify things that are commonplace in the market and, and uh, dispelling myths, so to speak. So like, what's your basic understanding of the marketplace and how do you position yourself differently? What's truly different about you? And then just, just deciding like, okay, where am I going to go do this? That's where you actually end up deciding, am I going to go to LinkedIn? Am I going to go to Facebook? Am I going to go to TikTok? Am I going to go here? Am I going to start a podcast? Like what channel are you going to use to communicate with people? So there's so many different places to go. I help clients just kind of identify, like, how do you whittle that down into like one or two places? Because like, you really can't effectively do more than that when you're starting out. Yeah. Right? Yeah. You'll spread yourself too thin and you'll never go deep enough to like actually make headway when you when something isn't working so it's just like you know are your customers there do you have any experience with that channel already like do you kind of know the mechanics of it because there's it's like it's like a networking group when you join it you don't know the dynamics of the group and so it's the same with a social media platform like linkedin has sales navigator and you can search for people and you can connect with people and so you have to understand the mechanics of that and then do you already have some connections is there organic reach there? So like on LinkedIn, if you make a post, you can reach thousands of people. So you just, you really just put these variables on the table. You, you assess these different channels and then you just say, okay, I'm going to pick LinkedIn because it makes the most sense logically. Like it's, it's aligned with my goals. And then you start to operate there. And then I, I think once you develop a routine and at the end of the day, you're asking yourself, okay, what went well? What didn't go well? Right? And you're in, and you have an established routine. So it's like every app, like every day or whatever, I'm putting in X amount of time and you're getting better every day. Then you can start to think about, okay, what else might I do? Like holding an event and inviting people to it and using that event for content as well. So you're on LinkedIn and, or you're on wherever, and you're producing some content. You're actually trying to make some direct connections with people through their content or just literally through direct uh, message like me and you met. Yeah, uh, we might we might have interacted on on content before, so it's like literally just going through these steps and keeping it super simple. And then if nobody shows up to your event, you have to ask yourself like, why? Like, what what was about that that nobody showed up? And if you just iterate on that as quickly as possible, you'll solve all those problems. I love it. I love it. It's very simple and very straightforward. So I'm going to put you on the spot then. Okay, let's um let's have an example of where you went along you know, down the rabbit hole and you thought this is going to work and it didn't. And what happened and how did you kind of retreat and then rejig and go in a different direction? Give us an example of that. Even my own journey. So after I sold my previous company, this is very relevant to a lot of people because they're often picking their niche and like, what is my offer and all that kind of stuff. And this is where I spent too long, I think, trying to figure it out for myself. So I sold my company and then I was really just deciding what do I going to, what am I going to do next? And uh, I, I went into... I was trying to be like kind of like a, a technical advisor because my previous business, I built a software company and then I sold it. So I was just going to be like a, a CTO on demand. Love it. Yeah, it sounds great. <laughs> it, sound, it sounded cool. It, it sounded good in my head. Um, but I wasn't really um, engaging with my, uh, my audience fast enough to kind of like validate what I was trying to offer. And I think I was kind of like emotionally attached to the idea of what it was. So like I was... I had, I had known myself for a long time as this technical guy and I still am a technical guy. I just do something a little bit different. Like a lot of what I do is technical, but 
so I was like emotionally attached to like every time I came up with what I was trying to help people with, I was really emotionally attached with it. So when I would get internal senses of this was off or people didn't understand what I was trying to offer, because um, I kept saying, you know, I'm going to make it cheaper. I'm going to make it faster. But, I, you know, it's like there were there were some things about that offer that I don't think would, would have actually even worked. And so I, I, I guess what I'm just trying to say is like I spent way too long trying to validate that. I was creating content and not really, it's like, it, it, here's, here's what it comes down to is like consulting, especially the success and the speed at which you grow your business is going to be rel, uh, uh, directly proportional to how many conversations you have with people that would actually buy from you. Absolutely. It's the old hopper theory, isn't it? You, you know, you stuff it in at the top and you get more out at the bottom. <laughs> yeah. It's like, it doesn't matter when you talk to your friend, it doesn't matter what they say. It doesn't matter what your mom says. It doesn't matter what any of these other people say all of that validation is going to send you the wrong way. And so I just didn't have enough focus on at the end of every day, I, you have to look and say, how many conversations did I have today with somebody that would actually buy this? And if it's zero and you, it's, it, it's a, it, may, it might make you a little anxious to track it that way. Cause it's just like, you might see zeros, but if you see that every day, you, eventually your mind's going to be like, okay, something's not right here. I have to find a way to talk to somebody. Oh, totally. Yeah, And I, I have to do it in a way that feels comfortable and it's not sleazy and it's not like those automated DMs that come in and they say, hey, buy my stuff. And uh, you just have to face that head on. And I think when you can do that, it will allow you to make a lot more progress because you have to be you have to talk to your target market. If you're in a networking group and it's just a bunch of colleagues that would never buy from you, that's not going to help you. Yeah, you're right. You're right. Yeah. It might. It might feel good because you're 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 talking to people and you're telling them about what you you do and but that will not move the needle in terms of growing your business. Okay, let's let's be fair to you now. Let's flip that coin over and give you something that was immensely successful. So you kind of tried everything out to start with. You got down through a couple of blind alleys. You sort of did your analysis and you kind of took a step back. Yeah, you know, what did you see and then how did you make a success of it? How did that look? So ultimately what happened to me is that as I was iterating through the tech stuff, I realized, number one, I just didn't have the passion to fight through the friction I was having. I didn't want to help people with their technology directly anymore. I got tired of that. And so I made, I made a, a, a personal realization that part of the reason why I wasn't making traction here was because I just wasn't that interested. Because I think you're going to have to have some purpose behind what you're doing in order to forge through some of these really uncomfortable early moments where you literally have nobody to talk to. Oh, I know. Um, <laughs> I've been there. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And so for me, what, what it was is like, I, I kept looking back to my previous business. I was like, man, like I'm learning all this marketing stuff to build what I was building, learning content. I'm learning copywriting. I'm learning all these things. And then I looked back at my business that I had grown really successfully. Uh, we were doing $7 million a year. I looked back at that. I was like, man, if I had known the things I know now about marketing and sales, I could have grown that business so much faster. While I was pitching this other service, I was having all these marketing conversations with these professionals and getting them really excited about their own businesses. And I had this epiphany moment. I was like, man, I've grown businesses. I know how to do this. I'm getting other business owners excited about their business. I'm an entrepreneur. And so I was just like, you know what? I'm going to help other people grow their business. This is what I'm going to do. And so how it started for me is, I, I started a mastermind group where I brought in a bunch of people and I was like, Hey, I'm going to just, I'm going to, I think I partly sold it on excitement, but I, I had a lot of information to share as well. I brought like 
eight or nine people together and we were meeting every week and I was just giving them lessons, a little unstructured actually, um, handling their questions, helping them think things through. And then through that experience, you know, a couple of people kind of bailing out, you know, this isn't what I kind of thought it was. And then having those six people stay and then seeing where those, seeing where the the value for them dropped off. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we're, We're meeting every week. And then at a certain point, you know, after three, four months of that, there wasn't much left to talk about. And so people started dropping off. And so I started to ask myself, okay, what, what have I learned here? Why are people dropping off? Like, like the value obviously has kind of dwindled. And so I really just kind of sat down and crafted a more formal offer that was more specific around the things that I was helping them with. And then I started building out some training material specifically for that and then got a couple clients to buy into that. It was a more specific offer that was tailored just for them. It was just a one-on-one thing. And then that's how I now where I'm at now. And so that, that offer was built out over time. If you imagined having trying to figure that out ahead of time, you couldn't have. No, that's right. It comes from experience, doesn't it? It's the litmus test, isn't it? You, you kind of dip your toe in the water, see what reaction you're going to get, and then you can adjust accordingly, yeah? Yeah, and I, I, I just just for other people's like, just to help them relate, like I'll tell you, there were so many moments when I was running this group that I was just terrified. Oh God, don't, don't tell me that. I mean, I'm terrified every day sometimes <laughs> when I do these interviews. Like, what am I going to, but it's a normal yeah. human thing. That's the point, isn't it? Right. And I, I think it's, it's okay to be terrified. It's okay to show up and not know exactly what's going to happen. It's a normal process and actually the fastest way to get where you want. I just kept trying to over deliver and people see that. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's a quite a fascinating process because if you thought you could figure it all out ahead of time, you will never do it. So be okay being afraid, be okay having a couple of people walk away from a meeting and feeling like they didn't get something from it. Cause we all care so much about, well, I think a lot of people care a lot about delivering that value, but be okay with like those really uncomfortable moments because the faster you just jump into it, and learn is the faster you're going to get that product that somebody actually wants. I, I love that because you're breaking it down there and you're making it really human. You're making it kind of right from the heart, you know, and I think that's where you've got to be as well. It's all right being here, but if it's not in the heart and you said something very interesting about your previous business, um, the technical support, you know, doing the technical stuff, you really weren't invested in it, were you? It's what you've done for a long time, but it didn't float the boat anymore. Yeah. So facing those fears was never going to happen. Yeah. Cause I didn't have the passion to do it. And then just like, just like a, another example of that is like, I just launched a, a little community. It's like this little paid subscription. It's 10 bucks a month where I'm teaching people how to like build a content machine essentially. And that was another moment where it was, I had a lot of stress and like a lot of fear around that because I came up with an initial concept and launched it and got people in the group and then dealt with all the problems, then dealt with everything. I just kept staying on top of it, listening to what people were saying, over delivering, communicating, noticing the problems, bringing them to the forefront, solving them. But, at, but through that process, like if I had, if, if I had tried to build that group without any problems, I would never would have launched it. But, but you see, you know, what's really interesting, I don't know if you're a Beatles fan or if you've been watching Get Back on Disney at the moment, you know, it's, um, it's really interesting. It's like putting a great song together, isn't it? It's like composing. Yeah. You've got to start somewhere with an idea, a thread that inspires you. 
but then the whole process of putting it together is bloody hard work. I mean, it's right. and it's constant adjustment, you know. And like when you listen to the first uh, iterations, I get back on the Let It Be album. It sounded terrible. It just, but what Lennon McCartney did was, oh, try that. Okay, yeah, oh, that sounds a bit better. And it's just this incremental building blocks that you're building, you know. And that's what you were doing. You were getting the feedback as you were going along. You are building the parachute as you were dropping through the sky. Exactly. But that's sometimes, yeah, but the point being, though, is don't be frightened to do that. Although it's not the conventional way. A lot of people like to plan things. Jump out the plane. You've got to land somehow. Figure it out, you know. And that's really what you were doing. Yeah, or or like develop the um, the mental awareness that you are afraid. I, I'll be honest with you, like twenty percent of the the mornings I wake up, there's a, a an element of anxiety or fear for the, the day for the day that's going to come. Totally understand that. <laughs> but if you're just aware of that, you mentally you can grab hold of that and just start to act because that once you start to act, you get up, you make your coffee, you start playing with your kids, you start to make a little list of things you need to do and you start doing it, the fear will burn away. Yeah, and, and that's an interesting point you make, right? And, and I'd love to to talk about that strategy a little bit more because I, you know, I'll be totally upfront with you. I get extremely anxious about things because I want to do a good job. Right. I want to be able to present myself in the best way to somebody. So somebody invests in me. They think, oh, Dave's a good guy, actually. He's got it. He's got it sorted, you know? So there's always that anxiety, but the anxiety of the day, I don't know if you ever have this, where you get up and you think, oh gosh, I've got to pay that bill. I've got to interview this person. I've got to do that guy. And you kind of, it kind of overwhelms you and it can overwhelm you for weeks on end, right? Yeah. So, so how do you break that cycle? What is it that you do that you can advise the listeners how you deal with it on a daily basis? Yeah, I think first and foremost, you have to develop the awareness that it's happening. Because if you don't have that, then you don't, you can't, you can't develop some sort of mechanism to get yourself out of that. Uh, so the awareness is number one. And then um, typically, it's journaling something in the morning, you know, like, I maybe sometimes I just write four or five lines. A lot of the time, I'm just like, talking about what I am thankful for. Um, I, these things are kind of cliche. I didn't create these things up. I've just, so I, I just kind of remind myself to do that. Um, I do try to get some exercise on a daily basis and that helps burn a little bit of that off. And then I just try to make a uh, little lists of things I need to do and I accomplish them. And my other issue too, is like, sometimes my lists get too long. Yeah. <laughs> no, it will. And so, uh, <laughs> and so then I overwhelm myself with my own list and then I start losing track of where I'm at. So I think trying to keep things simple and which is really hard for me because I'm an engineer. I just want to engineer things to like the nth degree. Totally understand that as well. Engineers are, you know, a certain breed, but what's quite nice about what you've done is you've got the technical aspect, the engineering aspect. So you've got the planning, you know, the sort of design aspect, but also you're getting this social media side going now. That's a more much more creative side, which is interesting. You've plugged that into your psyche. Right. And you've learned those skills, I imagine. Yeah. They haven't come always naturally to you. Is that fair to say? Totally fair. Yeah, I used to be uh, completely afraid to speak, um, articulate myself, get in front of anybody. Before I did my first LinkedIn video, I was just deathly afraid. I always talk about like the social media content video thing in a couple different two different ways is one yeah it helps you grow your business you can literally just put yourself out there people see it sometimes they see one video and they just reach out to you that's the the unicorn post that people are always hoping for that's but if you haven't been in social media that's what you that's the only thing you think about you mean like i'm gonna when do, when do i get my first client right or it's just like they've seen 
a bunch of your videos over a year and then they're finally at that point where they're ready to buy and they reach out. But the other the other side about it is just like learning how to uh, be comfortable with yourself. Yeah, totally. And and articulating your point of view and being creative. And that has been invaluable. I don't care what business I do. When I start my next one or whatever I pivot or whatever, I'm going to be so far ahead of so many people that I, I'll just instantly be in the marketplace interacting with people. And that's what people don't understand. Like even that for that product, I just talked to you about that group I, I launched. I literally launched that in four days on a Friday night. I came up with the idea. I wrote a, an email landing page. I started promoting it on Saturday. I got people to sign up to the email. I then took that email and then emailed everybody on Monday, said, I'm going to do a live show and introduce what this is. And then on the live show, I literally told people what the offer was. And I had a couple people in on that thing. So social media allows you to instantly connect with people and you can grow very quickly, but it takes a little bit of skill to learn how to do that. And so like when I first started getting on LinkedIn, like I didn't really know how to do it. Right. So like I, you have those stiff videos where I'm like, oh, you know, I, I don't know what I'm doing. We've all been there. We've all been there. <laughs> but when I moved to TikTok, I was able to grow pretty quickly because I had done videos for a year. I had written headlines. I knew how to write a hook. And so my TikTok account grew pretty quickly. And so you have to understand that these skills, it's, yeah, you want to grow your business. You want to get clients, whatever, of course. But the skill base that you learn. So now I do these like I, you, I, you probably haven't seen it, but I do these TikTok videos that are, some of them are just normal where I'm just talking to the camera, but I do some ones that are kind of creative and like kind of, you might even say, uh, you, from the outside, you might say kind of weird. Like I can't, I, if I showed them to you, you'd see what I'm talking about, but they're not necessarily really weird, but they're kind of like just different. Well, they're a bit off the wall, you know, they're a bit kind of outside of the, the normal confines of what we do because you're trying to hook visually. That's the important point, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. So I did like just like last or two weekends ago, I was uh, in uh, Hollywood and I was in a hotel with my family and my kids went to bed. So now I'm like in this this little hotel room and I, I, can't, I can't be in the room. It's all dark. So I go into the bathroom and I literally record one in the in the bathroom and I'm doing this funny motion where I have the camera and I move it towards me and then I move it towards my face. And then I, I, it's kind of hard to explain, but it ended up getting like 50,000 views. Isn't that incredible though, isn't it? Just something very simple. Um, but what do you think it is that, that captures people's imagination on, on, on TikTok especially? Is it the unusual? Is it the risque? Is it, um, you know, controversial? Or is it all of that stuff? All of the above, yeah. So controversial always does well on LinkedIn or anywhere because you're splitting an audience down the, the, the you're splitting it two people, you're creating like two sides. So then the two people wanna battle each other, right? And then on, on TikTok, it's, it's, it's capturing attention so you only have like a second. So if there's something visually stunning happening, and, and in this case, in that bathroom one, there was because you, you couldn't really see the bathroom parts of it, but it was I made it black and white and there was just this motion that was happening. And then the lights in the, the, the bathroom just happened to reflect off my sunglasses. I was wearing sunglasses in the bathroom. That's funny. And uh, <laughs> I love it. I love it. <laughs> it created a, a very uh, stunning visual presence. And then I had this music going and then I had some stuff written on the text. It was like a, literally like a seven second video. So I didn't say a word. It was just music and there was things written on it. And uh, so, yeah, you get, you get creative like that. And I would never have thought of making that two years ago. I wouldn't even like, I wouldn't have even have tried that.
You're halfway through listening to On Another Track with me, David Wilson. My guest this week is Stephen G. Pope from SGP Labs. Next, I wanted to ask Stephen a little bit about his family and where they came from and how jazz became a big influence in his life. Oh, you know, it's funny. My uncle would be upset with me because he's like he's like one of those. Uh, he 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 backtracks all of that stuff. Um, I mean, I, I'm just I think I'm like a European mutt, essentially. We all are, aren't we? <laughs> I've told I've told people that I'm that I'm that I have a lot of German um, over the years, but I think it actually turns out I don't have a lot. Yeah. So, but fair enough though, but where did, uh, where did mom and dad come from? Do you know that kind of background and where you guys originally started off in the U S I assume you're in the U S and then where did you kind of end up? How did the, the family journey go as you were a kid growing up? What did you notice and who influenced you? Yeah. So my, my dad, um, grew up in San Diego and then my mom, she, um, I think she was originally out like in, in, um, in Buffalo in the early, early years. And then they moved over to, uh, they were in San Diego and then ultimately moved up to like Santa Paula area, if you know where that is. Uh, but anyways, yeah. And so, you know, they, they got together and then, um, you know, had me and, uh, they actually ended up getting divorced, um, you know, pretty early in my years. So it was really just like me and my mom. And then, you know, I would, I would be visiting my dad. Um, so that was kind of like the early years you know, you've already kind of indicated, you know, there's a separation in the family that influences you as a young person. It does. Yeah. But, but, but where did that take you? And, and, and where did you kind of get to, uh, you know, in your mind about what your ambitions were, where you wanted to go, what were, you know, did you want to go to university? Did you want to go to college? You know, what was inspiring you, you know, way early in the, in my years, I was always inventing. Uh, I was always trying to sell those inventions um, and I was always building, uh, building all sorts of stuff from like wood to little electronic things. And then it was really, uh, I, you know, like my early years, this is like early, uh, eighties, you know, my dad was into computers and he got us a computer, started programming, starting to build little things to categorize my baseball cards. I was really lucky in that my neighbor was also a programmer. All right. And we became friends and like, he, I was good at a certain type of programming and he was good at some other part. And we would, we would always be sharing ideas. And so, you know, that entrepreneurial engineer kind of was just always existed. Lemonade stands, selling all sorts of stuff. And so those things just kind of kept developing. And I like throughout high school, throughout my middle years, I always knew what I was going to do. I was going to become an engineer. I was going to become an entrepreneur. I knew I was going to get a degree in computer science. So I ended up going to college. Uh, I got a degree in computer science and I, I ended up getting that degree pretty much at like the, the first bubble, the dot-com bubble. I couldn't get a job anywhere. Oh, interesting. And eh? yeah. partly probably because I just wasn't really motivated to get one. Well, at least you're honest about it. Uh, you know, that's the thing. <laughs> yeah. I wasn't really motivated. Like and so I just started working with startups. Like I, like, I think my dad connected me to the first one. There was just some guy in a garage building a business. I started assembling all these different things to make this one project work. I, I liked doing that. It wasn't just like building a website. I was like integrating this technology with that and this website with this. And so I just kind of like just snowballed over, over the years. And I got more and more serious. I had built up quite a bit of debt going through this process as well. Like as we do. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so at a certain point I was like, man, I, I, I need to make this more serious. And that's when my business really started to take off. I 
got more serious about it and then built up the the company that I had before and uh, ended up being on like on Inc. Magazine's fastest growing companies and and really just working with a lot of clients, helping a lot of clients build technology. And so that's kind of just like the the way that I ended up just transitioning into like more of a full-time entrepreneur. And But I, I've really only worked for myself my whole life. I, like I've had a, like a, a normal job probably two years of my life. Yeah, you often find that with sort of serial entrepreneurs is that they're just not going to be in job. They're going to have work, you know, the different income streams, which, which you create, but they're never really going to have a job. That's not going to suit them at all. Yeah. And I, I don't make a good employee really either. Like I'm, I'm always the person that's like annoyed that the company is doing this. Oh yeah. Like I remember like one of my other jobs, I was like researching, like, how do you form a union? You know, like, like <laughs> I, love I, it. I love it. <laughs> You'll be the, the, the startup, you know, the, the reprobate in the ranks, you know, but, but you know, that's where I come from. You know, I see the injustice in things I, and I just want to, I want to, get the little guy up there as well and make him successful. You know, that's the, that's the thing, you know, and I suppose that's where you come from. Yeah, I guess so. And I, I, I guess I always feel a little, I don't know if entitled's quite the right word, but I always felt like I was more valuable than I was being allowed to. And, and, and to be truthful, I remember there's a specific instance where like I was acting very entitled. Like I felt like I should be making more money, but I probably wasn't really contributing as much as I should have. Uh, like, I remember I went to my boss and I was like, you know what? Like, I see you guys making all, the, I, I, I'm almost embarrassed to talk about this. I was like, <laughs> Go for it. I see you guys making all this money. And like, I think I should be making more money. And he, he was actually really gracious. And I still talk to him to this day. Like he, like he could have just been like, what are you talking about? Man, get out, get out of my office here, get out of here. But um, yeah, I was just like, I was always like that. I was just like, I was probably really more frustrated with myself, really. I felt like I could be doing more. You know, that's kind of normal, again, for that type of personality that you are, I think. You know, um, I, I very much remember exactly what you were saying. Like, I would go in and say, well, I'm good at computers, and you've got a new computer, and have youthful enthusiasm, and you should let me on it. And you, know, and you think, oh, it's all so self-centered. It's all about me. Yeah, rather it really was, see, yeah. Yeah, rather than seeing that bigger picture. But, you know, that's the joys of youth. That's the ignorance of youth, you know, and I, that's what I love because it's a, it's a, it's a learning game. You know, it's, it's a case of... I'm on this journey and I'm going to get a couple of knockbacks. And he was very gracious. He was, he really was like, he, like he could have just been like, you're, you're being like ridiculous, but he was very calm and just like explained, you know, rationally what was going on. Um, he explained they didn't have as much money as they, they, uh, it might look, but anyway, like, yeah, he was, um, I've always kind of actually looked at him as a, as a mentor, but yes, yeah, it's funny when you look back at those times. Yeah, but you know what's lovely about it is that probably behind the scenes he had a little chuckle to himself and a smile because he probably was very similar to you if he was an entrepreneurial way, way back. Hey, listen, I just want to ask you one quick thing, and it's bugging me because I, I kept meaning to ask you. You're a jazz fan, aren't you? I am. I am. And I, I noticed the posters behind you've got Thelonious Monk and, and Duke Ellington. Tell us a little bit about the jazz side of your life. Yeah, so I played jazz piano. And um, I've always been interested in this is like, this is one of those yearning desires I had my whole life. Like I always loved listening to music and uh, I didn't actually play anything until much later in my life. I went to college. I actually started being a DJ. I got tired of two things. I got tired of people telling me that I wasn't a true musician. Oh, because <laughs> <Yeah>. that's, <laughs> that's the thing about DJs, right? It's like, they're not real. And then I like, I was like, I, I wanted to make my own thing. And then I, I started making like, electronic music nice and i got tired always experimenting 
Like I could never sit down and like build off of something. Like I was always just starting from scratch. And so I started playing piano. I got a, I got started getting piano lessons, uh, doing classical. And that was real frustrating as well. Cause it's like, it was so like technical and like you'd spend a month. And if you messed up one note, the song was messed up. And so I, somebody gave me a real book, which if anybody knows what that is, it's like a, it's just a book full of jazz songs. Right. And the way jazz songs are written is like, they're written as like, uh, it's like a framework more. It's like chord structures and simple melodies. And then I realized, oh, I can just learn the theory behind all of this. I could learn what is an A major? What, what notes are in that? And then with jazz, it's like you're just, you don't have to play things the same way every time. Yeah, exactly. You can, you can like, you can play an A major like 80 different ways and add different colorations. So I started to learn that framework. And that's when I started really getting into jazz. I had never really listened to it too much, except that my, my stepdad listened to a lot of it. And then I started to form an appreciation for it when I started to learn what it really was about. And then, uh, then I just like got into jazz as it became a jazz pianist. I ended up going to a jazz conservatory in um, Berkeley, not the school of Berkeley, but like Berkeley, California. There's a, um, it's called the CJC and studied there. And then I was going to junior colleges and playing with kids that were really like basically half my age. And then over like, you know, 15 years, I just became a, a musician which was, which was fun. Well, and what's quite nice is that you are a person that once you put your mind to it, you, you get on and do it. You find a way of doing it. You're a doer. Yeah. Um, just out of interest, again, it's one of my other questions around jazz. Who has been your kind of your favorites or your biggest influences from the past, would you say? In the jazz space? Yeah. You know, I think th these two guys, like Duke and Monk, like I liked Duke because like he's just so elegant and uh, also like a really good, a really good person from what I've been able to discern. Yeah. And just like you see him when he's playing, he's got that smile and he's just like, he's orchestrating his band and just a good, a good dude. And then really cool music that I could relate to and play. And then I liked, I liked Thelonious because he had that like real dissonant rhythmic feel to it, which was like, just, it felt more raw. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, and just like, I, I, I felt like, like, you know, he just uses these motions where he's just like being like, I don't know how to put it, like just like um, rebellious or, um, you know, whatever. I don't know what how to put it, but it's just like more simple, actually. Yeah, but simple, but but kind of just going outside of the box a little bit, you know, trying it, you know, being a little bit adventurous, living dangerously, you know, that that is it. It's taking that risk, isn't it? Yeah, because yeah, exactly. Because he does a lot with the tritones, which is... You know, it doesn't matter what that is exactly. But if you just did that, like in a real vanilla way, it wouldn't sound good. But he does it like when you're not quite expecting it or it's like right off beat or just like. And so it's just like there's this bounce to it. And it like what, however he does it, it's just like it turns these simple notes into something that's like, oh, that was really impactful. And I thought there was something interesting to that. And it, and it was it was also more sim simplistic. So instead of me trying to be real technical. Like I, I can't play like Bill Evans, like doing all these really fancy things. Cause I just don't have it in my fingers, but some of that more rhythmic stuff, it's easier for me to connect to and do and, re and replicate. You know what? Uh, here's the link now. Here's what I'm saying is you bring jazz into your business world. You, you've got that. You, a, a bit. Yeah, Cause you, yeah. It's a, you've got that structure that you work within, but you do the jazz. Well, I'll give it a try. Let's just go for it. And you keep doing it. You keep doing it and varying it a little bit. 
I'm sure that's what you've got there. Yeah, I agree with you. And then, but jazz was also the first thing that really brought me into the moment. Because I realized it's like, I would sometimes I would be playing and it would sound not good. And it was literally just because I was like in the, the mental part of my brain. And so it was the first time where I was just like, you know what, I could just, I could just be. I could play less and just be in the moment and listen. Like I, I tell people this, like in my life, I've some, sometimes I've been like an anti-Buddhist. Yeah. I, I've been anxious about the past or dreading the future or thinking about the future or uh, making plans and not just like always just kind of being in the moment. Um, and so jazz kind of like, it was the first realization. It's like, oh, I can just sit here in the moment and just be here. And you do see that with the great professionals. I mean, I remember watching Dave Brubeck with the quartet and everything just a few weeks ago. There's a great um, movie on, I think it's YouTube from 1959. And just the way the guys just look at each other, there's that little look and it gets changed up and you think, wow, that's synchronicity, but it's not really, it's just a little bit of an indicator. And then you go and do your thing. And it's very much in right. that moment. It's organic, you know, and that light framework is there, but you know, somebody's coordinating it a little bit, but you have freedom as well. And I love that. <laughs> yeah. The, I used to like going, uh, I, I, I want to get back into a group, but yeah, I agree with you. Like, and one thing that was fun about playing in a jazz band is like, everybody comes in and like, nobody says anything yeah and they're just like they just like they tinker on their instrument maybe it's like a nod or something but sometimes people just literally say nothing they've got some baggage from the rest of their day and maybe they're processing that and they're just getting their stuff set up and then you play and then you're you're only communicating by looking at each other and giving each other nods and listening and like you'll do something and the bassist will look at you and be like, yeah. And you're like, oh, it feels, it just feels really cool. It's, it's so great. It's, I, listen, I could talk to you all day about jazz. I have to say it's something that really feeds my soul, but, um, but we'll, 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 let's go back to business. Cause I'd love to sort of link it back. Now I've got, I've got, I'm going to do a couple of challenges for you here. Right. And I want to ask, see what your reactions are to this, because I've had two lines of thought on this, it, it, you know, social media, do you go down that route and do the marketing via that, which you have been doing, or do you look more focused at creating funnels? Yeah. Funnels are kind of like a slippery slope. Like the social media is where you build the awareness and the trust. And so actually most funnels, you, like really what, what, what it really can kind of come down to is really just a, a, a single final place where somebody can come and see what you're offering. So, uh, I don't, I don't go down the funnel rabbit hole and make real complicated funnels. I, I, there is probably a time and a place for that when you're selling like specific products and there's, you've seen those ones where you buy something and then they offer you some more and more and more and more. That's, that's not my expertise. Um, all my funnels, I, I am about to start running a, a, some YouTube ads and playing around with that and I'll build a funnel around that. Uh, but even that one will be very simple because it's like, people get lost in those unless there's a really compelling reason. So really a, a good funnel is like a, a video and a place to contact you in some way, form or another. That's fair enough. And I know that that's been the two kind of trains of thought at the moment, you know, social media and then traditional marketing is still not working the way that people expect. And it's not filling people's coffers quick enough. So what you're probably saying, and I'm kind of surmising from this is that funnels can be a quick fix if you want it to be, and it will take you down a certain route but there's a limitation maybe to it. You're not building up that great organic database of people that really are going to keep coming back. Is that fair to say? 
Well, I mean, to be fair, I, I just think a fun, all a funnel is, is really just like, it's, it's really multiple, really multiple things are going on. So part of the funnel is just people knowing that you exist. So I guess I, I wouldn't think of a funnel as just like a, like a click funnels, like landing page or something like that, where it converts and creates cash. The funnel starts with people even just knowing you exist. So um, I think they're kind of interchanged. Like, so I don't necessarily, like the, I think, I guess the, these words sometimes they mean things to different people, but to me, a funnel is just like, you've got to build awareness that you exist. You've got to like show that you have something meaningful that someone would then take action to go look and do a little bit more investigation. You're either getting people to this landing page from a paid advertisement, from a social media post, or just meeting somebody on the road and just saying, Hey, I've got this thing, go check it out. So it's all, to me, it's like, they're all kind of related. So, okay. What are the, some of the small actions, somebody's in business, um, you know, they're thinking about really establishing themselves on social media. Uh, where would you say, you know, as a quick three-step guide, where would you say they would should go first and what are some of the actions they should do to start that process and the cadence? Yeah. So number one is commit because there's going to be moments where you have no idea what you're doing. And you, you're probably going to feel like you're wasting time and it's not going to be getting you what you want. So number one, you got to commit because there's going to, when you got to have something to get you over those hard times. And then, um, again, you have to have that strategy, which is just basically who are you going after? What are you offering? Why are you different? Where are you going? Like we were kind of talking about now, and then just how do you execute it? What's, do you have a basic sales and marketing, uh, funnel set up? Like, do you have a, a way to, are you creating content to, to build some awareness that you exist? Are you networking on that platform a bit to connect with people and bring them on your podcast or, you know, and then um, do you have a way to, you know, uh, capture their demand when it actually exists with, with some sort of website or um, basic landing page? And then do you have a way to uh, book a call with you and then take payment? And do you know how to run a sales call? And you, you set up those basic things and stick with that, get it ironed out, and then once you have that, you can expand. Okay. So now I want to just give the listeners an idea where you plug into that equation. So what are the practical things that you can do? So if somebody is hearing you on the podcast now, I like that guy, Stephen Pope, he speaks to me. What are some of the things that you're able to do when you plug into a business or, or to help somebody and coach somebody? Yeah. So I take people really through that whole process. It's really, there, there's five keys to success here. It's like marketing and sales strategy, um, your website and funnel. And then uh, for me, it's, you know, some sort of video content that you're creating. And that could, that could vary. It's like people, you know, it's like podcast, it could be Q and A's, it could be webinars. So some sort of video. And then how do you repurpose that into other pieces of content? And then the final piece is really just kind of community building. It's like, do you have something that's uh, in your regular routine that's like reaching out to people, making partnerships, being guests on other podcasts, and uh, presenting for other people so that you're, you're, you're like when you're, you have your own awareness that you're building, but you can also integrate with other people that are building awareness. So like me and you, like you're going to distribute this to your network. And now suddenly a whole new group of people are going to be introduced to Steven uh, and now um, can ultimately connect with me or not. And, I, and I'm going to ask you, hey, can I have this recording? You certainly can. And I'm an, and then I, I, I will literally just put this on my podcast. I'll put it on my website. Yeah. yeah. And now people will know David Wilson. And, uh, and, and now like two networks have merged. And when that, and when after they connect, 
and they pull apart, some people will stay and some people will go and um, there's a little cross pollination there. And so when you mix all of those elements, you have really a marketing machine and then you can build on it. You, you do for, for sure. And I appreciate that offer, by the way, I really, really do. Because I think as, as co-presenters, I suppose, in many ways in the media sort of circles, we need to do that cross-pollination. It's so, so important, you know, and you, you know, you don't want to give up any opportunity to be able to do that. Yeah. I mean, like why, why can't I just take your podcast and publish it on mine? Absolutely. Like the, we have all the, we have all these like uh, limitations of like, and I've learned this from other people. These are not always all my ideas. Like I see other people that I respect do that. I'm like, oh, he just, he was a guest on a podcast and he just published that on his own. Why not? Exactly. And you said that as, as one of your points, actually, that repurposing. And I think that's what people forget. You know, you tend to do something, you know, oh, okay, that's Facebook done. But no, 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 repurpose Instagram, you know, TikTok. You go through all the platforms and just maybe take 30 seconds out of it and throw it on there. Just do it. That's the important thing. Yeah, it's free exposure. I mean, literally. Absolutely. Okay, so if somebody wanted to reach out to you, Steve, what's the best way of getting a hold of you? Yeah, so you can you can obviously find me on LinkedIn. Uh, if you type in Stephen G. Pope, you can find me there. You can find me on TikTok. If you type Stephen G. Pope, you can find me there. Or you can just go to my website, sgplabs.com, and there's a you can book a call right right from there. But um, pretty accessible, actually. Well, you know, you are absolutely, I must admit, and uh, you are regularly on the platform. So I, I don't think anybody will have any problems reaching out to you. So just quickly and very briefly before we go, if you were looking at the crystal ball for Stephen Pope, SGP Labs, where are you going to be going in the next five or 10 years? What do you see? Yeah, I mean, ultimately, I'm going to be helping people build out these these media machines. Perfect. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, yeah. I, build out a content machine, build out the system to really uh, educate people on not necessarily why you're the best, but how they can be the best. And then in turn, they will seek you out if, uh, if they need extra help. Excellent. It can't be simpler than that. And this is the final, final question, I promise you. Okay. And I ask everybody this, if you were uh, 18 again, what would you tell yourself? Probably just relax a bit and, and enjoy enjoy things things will be fine i still have to tell myself that sometimes and it's yeah absolutely it affects us all but that's just great advice well stephen it's been a real pleasure I, i'm so glad we connected yeah i really enjoyed this this has been a fun one I, well i hope so as well and i'll definitely package everything up for you video and the audio and you can do as you see fit and the same at my end we'll get it all sorted and we'll go from there but uh, take care keep doing what you're doing I, I know you have an effect you too man and i love the feedback i'm getting from my network i mean you've definitely got some clarity there and people do talk about you in a very positive way which is great cool and so you got to keep that going that's great to hear i appreciate that my pleasure take it steady look after yourself keep listening to the jazz <laughs> yeah you too man see ya you've been listening to on another track with me david wilson my guest this week has been stephen g pope from sgp labs taking the terrified out of social media marketing remember there are more conversations coming up in this series just look out for On Another Track with me, David Wilson, on your local podcast platform and subscribe. This has been a BritCam production for Urban Aspect Incorporated. Keeping us safe on the roads of North America.